Previously on Newsbreak, Lotus FM. It's still trying to figure out what kind of day it is in Durban today. The sun comes out, then it shies away, the clouds come through, and then the breeze starts. So, typical spring day, all four seasons in one, possibly. But I hope whatever the condition is outside, you're having the best possible Saturday. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program. I'm Taresh Hari Prashad, bringing you Newsbreak Talk today. Another hour for you to dissect and discuss whatever you'd like to uh, on our topic today. Uh, we look forward to curating your opinions and your thoughts because today's topic is particularly interesting. It's something that uh, is taking shape in the Northern Hemisphere, um, the second wave of COVID-19. Now, South Africa, before we take you that far, South Africa itself is seems to be in a um, buoyant mood, jubilant mood, of certainly far better than they were in March, April or even August. Um, due to the fact that alert level one is currently in place in South Africa, what it means then and, and what would compel the command council to implement an alert level one is that infections are not uh, at such an increased level on a daily basis, averaging around between 500-600 increases per day uh, compared to the 13,000-12,000 we were reporting a day uh, just a couple of months ago. So from that perspective, using that data, one gets the sense that COVID-19 seems to be on the decline in terms of daily infection rates. But having said that, it certainly does not mean that COVID-19 is a thing of the past. And what really brings us into um, in, into identification would be the Northern Hemisphere, because the UK currently is facing a major crisis with regard to COVID-19. Prime Minister Boris Johnson had declared on Friday that the UK was now seeing a second wave. He confirmed it, and he literally called it a second wave. Um, and, you know... If you look at the numbers that that came through from the week, um, they have been um, well. I, as we stand, South Africa fatalities up by twenty nine and new infections by one thousand four hundred and eighty. Uh, so, so, so those were the um, you know most immediate numbers. But again, back to the UK, they've been bat- battered by COVID nineteen. Four hundred ten thousand cases, more than forty one deaths. And it seems as if they are increasing their numbers, which definitely makes it a cause for concern. Um, A lot of restrictions were lifted, a lot of, um, you know, relaxation of of visiting um, was imposed. But it seems now that these have to be revisited. What it then suggests is that... um, curfews are being implemented and there are going to be stricter fines now in the UK to deal with um, the spread of COVID-19 there. Uh, this week, they're averaging about four to 4.5 thousand um, new cases a day, which definitely increases, shows an increase in what they've been dealing with. Likewise, with um, with France in September, they had announced about 10,000 COVID-19 cases in one day. Uh, this is now sort up to about 13,000 a day. Gatherings of more than 10 people in public places have been banned in Nice and similar measures are introduced in Bordeaux, Marseille as well. So this is what France is doing. UK is also implementing a stricter curfew now, stricter fines. So what I'm saying to you is, is that there seems to be the second wave in the Northern Hemisphere in Europe. India as well are implementing some uh, sort of uh, restrictions in New Delhi specifically. So the point is, what should South Africa be doing now? Now that South Africa seems to be in the clear, and please be advised the Northern Hemisphere was in the clear, um, you know, far earlier so around July, around um, July, around June, they had started opening up pubs, opening up movement, and already the World Health Organization is warning Africa against complacency amid COVID-19 pandemic. So now that Africa seems to be on the opposite end of that, meaning there seems to be a decline in infections, 
it's taking off again in the northern hemisphere does that mean that it's going to come back to africa it's come back to south africa what must be done in the meantime okay so let's find out exactly what the world health organization is saying they've expressed concern following a 6% increase in covid-19 cases in south africa in the past 7 days despite a 2% decrease in the number of infections on the african continent south africa is one of the 16 countries that have shown an increase the south african authorities earlier warned that the country could see a devastating resurgence of covid-19 if all the protocols are not observed as the country relaxes lockdown regulations mercedes bcent reports the wearing of masks in public is mandatory however sabc news has seen people not wearing masks on the streets of cape town and in some workplaces non compliance with social distancing sanitizing and some people removing their masks in public spaces have also been reported on the 21st of september when the country moved to level 1 health minister zwelim kize warned against complacency saying south africans should take all precautionary measures to avoid a resurgence of coronavirus cases in the country we are on our way towards normality except that the normality is going to be very different now because the asset that will never be able to move from our day to day lives the use of masks now for sanitation hand washing distancing and the uh, cough etiquette are all these those are going to be part of our lives because we haven't uh, gone out of the problem yet we still have the virus amongst us and the real question is that we should always be alert that it should not start resurging like we're seeing in other countries the chairperson of the ministerial advisory committee professor salim abdul karim said the new normal which includes following all the health protocols will be a way of life for some time to come we have to take the view that we're not going to get back to our old normal so we're going to have to figure out what the new normal is because that's what we're going to have to have in place for a long time until we have a vaccine and part of that new normal will be getting on with you know much of what we do normally but with taking into account our prevention strategies and with certain restrictions although the active coronavirus cases have been decreasing the number of covid-19 related deaths have also been increasing on a daily basis however despite the high number of recoveries some of those who have recovered say it's better to prevent contracting the virus as they are still battling devastating side effects one of those who has recovered and spoke to sabc news was a cape town based presbyterian priest I'm Kuseli Jugwana, a minister in the Presbyterian Church of Africa in the Western Cape at Langa Circuit. Once someone recovers from the virus, he or she starts a new journey. A journey of loneliness. fear of rejection by others after full recovery which varies from person to person it approximately takes more or less 6 weeks as doctor advised it is during this time when a person requires spiritual emotional and a psychological support so that a complete healing may take place and uh, you know this virus has after effects to each and everything that is happening in life has got its own after effects severe after effects like uncontrolled sugar diabetes um the level of diabetes sometimes become uncontrollable the blood pressure suffering from back pains at times the loss of memory etc This virus is not gone it is still there let us make sure that we do our best to prevent the spread of this virus they say prevention is better than cure this means we have to be extra careful than ever before god has given us mind to think eyes to see what's happening around us and legs to walk 
We have everything a human needs in order to take decisions about our life. May God bless you. May God bless South Africa. And may God bless Africa. Hmm, powerful piece there. The concern about second wave World Health Organization expressing concern about South Africa's uh, uh, 6% increase in COVID-19 cases in the past seven days. So that's the point I was making at the beginning. While there seems to be the alert level one, and I think initially what compelled um, the command council to implement that level one was that average of about, you know, what was it, 400, 500 uh, cases per day, but that's increased by 6% in the past seven days. And this comes at a time when alert level one uh, is in place. It's in place since Monday. So definitely had an impact on, on this, has it? I wonder your thoughts on that. We did try and get uh, to get com- a comment from Department of Health and even the NICD, unsuccessful there. I think a lot of people are studying the new current data, specifically with global trends, uh, taking the Northern Hemisphere into account now. So not too much of a... Um, not too much of a response coming through. So we are going to be speaking in with our expert around half past 12 today to talk a little bit more about second wave. In the meantime, I'd love to know your thoughts. Um, I mean, you presented with the cases, you presented with the situation right now, South Africa on alert level one. Uh, there's a concern about the seven, 6% increase in COVID-19 cases over the past seven days. Um, what are your thoughts about a second wave hitting South Africa of COVID-19 and how should one go about taking those precautions? I'd love to know your thoughts. Go ahead, voice note me. You can send me a text message as well, and we'll play all of that on air today. Have you missed any of your favorite soaps? Don't despair. SBC3 brings you the repeat of Siva Delan every morning at 10 a.m. and Generations at 10.30 a.m. Also, find the repeat of Trending SA at 11 a.m. and Judge Faith at 11.30 a.m. SBC3, bringing you repeats of your favorite shows every weekday morning between 10 and 12. The Lotus FM Cultural Cuisine and Attire Competition is now in the second round. The top 10 finalists need your vote to determine which of the five will win 10,000 rand in prize money each. Visit lotusfm.co.za to view the finalists, their videos preparing tantalizing dishes and the SMS keywords. SMSs are charged at 1 rand 50. Free SMSs and SMS bundles do not apply. Maximum of three votes per finalist per day is permitted. SMS lines open on the 22nd of September and close on the 28th of September 2020. Winners will be announced on the 30th of September 2020. T's and C's apply. Lotus FM. Yeah. Yeah. Share the experience. News break talk today with me, Tadej Hari Prashad. We're talking about the second wave and the you know threat of that, the imminent danger of that. And um, let's let's now actually understand where we stand with regard to that. Anonymous sent us a voice note here. Uh, hello there. Hi there, Tarej. Uh, it's up to every individual to now uh, take it upon themselves. I think you've got to be very mindful, considerate, and thoughtful as to the seeds that you do plant. Remember that South Africa needs to rebloom, reflourish, and we need to start bearing fruit. The tsunami may have passed, but quite often the actual uh, after effects and the aftershocks may be far more greater than the actual tsunami itself. Uh, a lot of people are under the misconception that COVID only attacks people with commodities such as hypertension and diabetes. It's really not on. It's uh, also due to uncalled for behavior and not following all the COVID-19 protocols. I'm one of the females who uh, is trying to accomplish and I need to give back to South Africa. And I think it would be very, very unfair for uh, people to let down their shields. Um, Thank you very much, Tharesh, and God bless. Namaste. Have a pleasant day further. Namaste. Thank you so much for the message today. Let's go to Krish from Amshlatuzana. And he says a lot of people are out and about and are still not wearing masks and social distancing. Lots of cases are not being reported. 
um, alluding there to the fact that there could even be a higher um, rate of infection. So yeah, let's talk about it then. How is, you know, Alert Level 1 manifested before your eyes in your communities? Are people still adhering to it? I mean, wearing a mask in public is still mandatory, but um, there's a lot of people... Uh, we understand, and even the SABC News is reporting that they have been uh, seeing a lot of people on the streets of Cape, uh, on the streets of Cape Town, uh, and in some workplaces, not complying with it, or even social distancing and sanitization. So, what are your experiences in this regard, and how concerned are you about second wave? Last week, I asked you. I said, "Do you think it's too doom and gloom for us to be having this topic?" Because I think South Africans are just happy that there seems to be a sort of recession with regard to the infe- infection rates per day. Um, alert level one has just been implemented, so South Africans who have been really affected by lockdown seem to have a bit more of a reprieve to live a bit more of a um, fluid life. Uh, and I asked you, do you think we should be talking about um, second wave at all? And you said it's an important conversation. So please go ahead and go ahead and um, join us on that conversation. Let's go to Bina Ramthari. Hello. I'm Saya Ramtharesh. During the last public holiday, Heritage Day, lots of families and friends posted up pictures having brides and get-togethers without even wearing masks and holding each other and checking up photographs. Bina Ramdari, Phoenix. Sairam Bina, thanks for the contribution today. Um, Logan Mudley says, when the virus was at its peak in South Africa, we had a shortage of PPE for health workers. Today in level one, we still have a shortage. Strange, but the only survivor is corruption in South Africa. Thank you for your contribution today, Logan. Appreciate it. Um, We've got a message from Saroj in Stanger Manor. Uh, Always interesting. and Thank you, Saroj. Appreciate uh, you listening to us so intently. It is really frightening when we talk about the second wave. So we all should continue wearing masks, sanitizing or washing our hands and keeping... Uh, with social distance. It's it's for every individual's safety, but out of it, it's really necessary. Um, each one of us should have, should take the second wave absolutely seriously. I pray we all stay safe and adhere to government's call for this pandemic. Thank you, Saroj, for that uh, a very important message. Mr. Ian Governor, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Taresh. God, please guide our government to take decisions for the benefit and safety of all the citizens in this country in these trying times. God, I also implore you to protect all the citizens of our beautiful country and rest of the world against the raging pandemic and please hasten the production of a safe vaccine for all. Thank you. Yeah, the vaccine. Hey, a lot of trials still being run, but no, um, nowhere near a release, a public release of that vaccine. Uh, Ramba Mudlin Phoenix, we must take all precautions until there's a vaccine. We must put on our masks, sanitizing, social distancing. There can be a second wave. Very, very. Yeah. Kriba Mudli says, um, the message by the Presbyterian minister is a desperate and compelling plea to South Africans to take the virus seriously. South Africa needs to avoid at all costs a second wave. Please follow the protocols as a matter of um, community and social distance. Thank you, Kriba. Yeah, so those are the messages that have come through. I think there's more to come and please go ahead and send them through to us. While you do that, uh, the national COVID-19 lockdown has left thousands jobless, homeless and in some cases in a state of depression. As the economy recovers, many are still reading from the impact of the virus and are taking stock of what they've lost. However, it's through simple acts of kindness that many have been able to recover, eat and get back on their feet again. Prabhashni Murli caught up with two good Samaritans who are lending a helping hand. My name is Prevalent, and when I was young, I used to sell socks, give pamphlets at 
intersections. I've filled petrol at garages. And now I go around the world telling people how to run their processes. People want my skills. soft skills. The temporary shutdown of many sectors of the many people, including young professionals, jobless and unstimulated. He set out to change this in an effort to reignite their passion once again. Because as a country, we need young, motivated professionals. An online approach is the best way to extend learning experiences to those that who might not necessarily be able to, to have them. I loaded a course onto Udemy that was available to everyone, which included all the different skill sets that one could incorporate into their career. So I think the lockdown was quite difficult. Many people were facing challenges in their working environment, unemployment, etc. So it was a way to motivate people that you are in this lockdown, you have an opportunity to develop some of your soft skills for your career that you can think about while you have some quiet time. So when you do get back into the full swing of things that work, you can actually use these skills to further develop yourself. It's a way of motivating people to say all is not lost. Not only has the coronavirus pandemic led to financial difficulties as a result of people losing their jobs, but it has also triggered high levels of anxiety and depression, often leading to abuse and crime. Johannesburg mother Namrita Sivsankar saw the need to make available psychological services to those struggling and had no access to such help. During the start of lockdown, I had several inbox messages requesting help. It was people requesting help for food, you know, the job losses, they were in a state of anxiety, depression. And I first started the initiative where I put together a list of psychologists where they could offer online telephonic counseling. Whoever messaged me for support, I would send in the numbers and say, okay, contact these people and they can help you. I just wish that psychologists and psychiatrists would make themselves available on a more feasible manner because there are lots of people who cannot afford psychology, and but they need it. And we have people walking around in a state of depression, anxiety, and the minute someone's commits suicide, then we're like, oh no, depression is huge. She teamed up with a Johannesburg-based restaurant to feed those who would have otherwise gone hungry as a result of the coronavirus virus effects. She also campaigned to donate PPE to the Chris Hani Baragwanath Hospital and provided support to women in abusive relationships. We started cooking food daily and feeding communities. So that's been happening every day from since April. We fed in, I think, over 14 different areas in Johannesburg. And to date, we hope they say by uh, myself, we fed over 30,000 meals. The effects of lockdown and COVID is going to take a long time to you know, for people to get through. It's simple acts of kindness by selfless souls that helped cushion the impact of the coronavirus that will see the world weather the storm. Prabashni Mudli, SABC News, Johannesburg. So still the topic of discussion, COVID-19, despite many inroads made with regard to the fight against the virus and even going through the um lockdown alert levels but it's still very much there and it's certainly something to be mindful of um here's a message here i'm lloyd from mere bank our area thinks everything is fine and our last holiday it was worse if you tell people to wear masks they want to fight with you i think the present um shows okay uh, a mask is compulsory and people um, who are not wearing them should be fine. Thank you, Lloyd, for that. Mrs. Nirmala Devi Murli from uh, Amkumas. We, what did we not understand when Level 1 came into practice? It only opened up the economy and of um, back to living a new normal without having to compromise all lockdown regulations and the safety of one's health. It's due to negligence of not wearing a mask and visiting crowded places, also becoming complacent against social distancing that sees some countries facing the second wave. It's a serious call, dear ones, not to let your guard down. Um, yeah, and she also goes on to pass her um, condolences to Akka Amra Maestri, uh, Lutas FM's former Telugu broadcaster. Um, yeah, sad news indeed. 
let's go to uh, this voice note here. Hello there. Hi, sir. You're speaking to Mr. Rupal. I hope you're well. And thank you for the good for the good topic. I travel in the taxi from Devon to Phoenix and Phoenix to Devon. Half of them use a mask, half of them do not use a mask. Yeah. Thank you for contribution today. Chapter 2. Research has shown us that 15 million plus South Africans were infected with the virus. However, our herd immunity's resistance against the virus is surprisingly high. The virus has mutated and is much more powerful now. Nobody is safe until a vaccine is available. COVID has paused and altered our lives. Take this opportunity to make the necessary changes in your life as well. Please observe all safety regulations. Thank you. And that's from Chapter 2. Um, and Robin says we were we were faced with an unexpected health crisis that led to an economic and social problem, but then the government goes and creates a corruption issue. We need better political leadership. Definitely a thorn in everybody's side. That and Mrs. Pele, no, they didn't weren't able to retrieve that. Um, yeah. So these are the messages coming through. Um, here's a message from Renee Pele. Hi, Renee. Good to hear from you. It's been a long time. Now that we are on alert level one, I've noticed many people in the malls and on the streets that are walking in groups and not wearing their masks, thus endangering the lives of others, especially now that many are asymptomatic and are COVID positive. I've experienced it many a time at stores. There's no social distancing at the till points. And when I am when I do tell them politely to please step back, they start mumbling. And I think that I'm accusing them of having the virus. Vish Singh says, I attended a funeral on Tuesday. There was about 250 people at the funeral not following the COVID-19 regulation. Um, another message in this batch, this is from uh, Nishal. What's the use of a mask when uh, being worn when uh, we're still breathing in the germs and that's on the mask, blown by the wind or whatever is in the air? Yeah, so many theories, but I think you're just a tad bit safer if you do have the mask on. That scientists have confirmed that to us. Okay, so when we come back, we speak to, to Professor Terence Komal, who's going to be helping us understand the second wave a little bit more. Has money ever been the reason you've avoided going to the doctor? Put your health first at an affordable rate with Dr. Doctor. SMS treat to 43204 now to subscribe for world-class medical assistance for just five rand a day. SMS treat to 43204. T's and C's apply. Brought to you by Lotus FM. This public service announcement is brought to you by Lotus FM. Smash and grab, house break-ins, burglaries, and hijacking. You think it can't happen to you, and then it does. Who do you turn to? If you or a family member is a victim of crime, support and services are just a phone call away. Victim Empowerment Support Centers located around the country in police stations and the many NGOs remain the primary reception points to victims of violence and crime and volunteers are the core service providers. Make it a priority to find the center nearest to you. Okay, it's Newsbreak Talk. I'm Tadeh Shari Bashad and we are talking about the second wave, the threat of that, the risk of that, the possibility of that. Earlier this week, uh, we were receiving a lot of reports in the Northern Hemisphere, specifically the UK, where they are concerned about the second wave that um, is plaguing it. And as early as yesterday, uh, Prime Minister in the UK, Boris Johnson, declared that uh, he was now seeing a second wave sweep through Britain. So definitely a concern there and the latest coming through the World Health Organization expressing their concern about a 6% increase in COVID-19 cases in South Africa in the past seven days. What or what does it mean then for the second wave of COVID-19? Very fortunate to be joined on the line now by CEO of Medical Expert Consulting Group, Professor Terence Komal. Professor Komal, thanks so much for your time. Good to have you on the program. Sure. Thank you for having me, Suresh. So um, I think the, the, the main concern here is second wave. And before we talk about South Africa, I want you to just you know, share me some of your thoughts um, with regard to the Northern Hemisphere right now. We're seeing you know, the UK not doing so great. Uh, Europe seems to be on the brink of, a, of that quite severe second wave. Your thoughts and your analysis of the fact that COVID-19 has you know, struck again in that part of the world. Sure. Thank you. I think what worries me about the, the Northern Hemisphere is they, they have increased mobility more than we do in, in South Africa and in the African context. So, for example, if you talk about the UK and in other countries in Europe, 
they have easy access mobility across national borders, across various countries with, with a phenomenal uh, public transport system, which makes it easier for them to commute and, and travel, which to me is part of one of many factors that's contributed to the second wave. The U.S. has similar concerns being being a, mega, a very large country in which, besides the political dynamic and the, you know, the, the, the Trump administration's view of not wearing masks, etc., it, it creates a very difficult circumstance. India itself, again, as a subcontinent, it's just sheer numbers. Because the reality is, in all countries, not just in South Africa, you have a trade-off between the economic impact versus the COVID impact. And that is where it's a very precarious balance due to strike at this point. But in, in the South African context, I think we've, we've, we've worked very aggressively as a country and as a continent to, to, to keep the infections down. And speaking for South Africa, I think we're in a, in, a, in a very positive position. But the worry is we may end up in exactly the position as, yeah. as many of the other countries have. Yeah. But help us understand the idea of a second wave by its very nature, right? Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of science too that comes into play here. There's still some grey areas about reinfection. We still need to know a lot more about herd immunity and we'll touch on that just now uh, on those two scientific aspects of it. But help us understand by the lifestyle aspect of COVID-19 that we understand in terms of our um, movement and, and social behaviour. Um, what compels a COVID-19 uh, you know, pandemic that has slowed down in a space to start increasing again. Correct. For example, Suresh, you know, I, I live out in Pretoria and I'm in Durban at the moment. There's a very relaxed attitude around the COVID space. So there is compliance. So the shopping malls have strict compliance. Some of the stores have strict compliance. But once you get to the beaches, you get to social gatherings, you get to family gatherings, many which, which I've attended the last few days, there's complete relaxation of as if COVID does not exist. So there seems to be a perception or almost an apathy of saying, well, COVID exists, but it can't be my family, it can't be my close friends, it can't be the people I'm having dinner with or the people's houses that I'm visiting. And that is where the concern is. That's what the lockdown tries to restrict and or limit. But, but people are compliant in stores, but not just friends and family, which ironically means they not just risk exposing themselves from potential carriers, but they also risk exposing the family members, the very people that were, they were meant to protect by not visiting, except for weekends like this. Mm, most definitely. And, you know, I think when when uh, the, the virus started uh, re rearing its ugly head again, I mean, um, in the Northern Hemisphere, they had a terrible, terrible beginning of the year, right? Um, and they slowly started, you know, doing their risk adjustment. So they allowed more social movement. Um, restaurants and pubs were allowed to, to, to be opened and, you know, gyms were opened. And that really provided a, a gradual return to normalcy, right? Um, what role did that play in the second wave appearing? I think that normalcy is, is, is about people becoming complacent, is, is where the concern comes in is in your private environments, in your work environments, a lot of people are now returning to, 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 to some level of normal in terms of work. The familiarity becomes the concern. Uh, even in my offices, you know, many of my staff had, had let their guard down and then we've made to, had to re-implement stricter measures because people suddenly believe, well, the fact that you're in the same place every day, the mask is for outsiders. But if you're using any form of transport, you're being involved in public systems, you're, you're traveling to malls, you have no idea where you're picking it up from. And, a, you know, an important case in point is there was a recent study on the airlines in which they specifically did control studies to see how transmission happens. And the transmission, because of the strict controls getting in and out of planes, the transmission was not because people were wearing masks, which was a good idea, but it was actually transmission with specific positive patients in a plane, in a controlled environment, from contact. That means you touch the railing, you touch the handle, you touch the feet, you touch something in the plane, which means you contracted the virus. People have now let their guards down because you see people hanging around malls, on railings, restaurants, tables. Nobody's insisting that, that somebody sanitize the table before you get there. I, I went for a sporting event on the weekend in which involved helmets. I literally saw the, the, the guy that allegedly does the cleaning. Three squirts of alcohol on the cover of the helmet and you're fine. But the transmission is going to happen on the inside of that, that helmet. It's going to be in, in where people have had direct contact. So just, a, 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 you know, some people are maliciously complying, saying, well, we need to sanitize, but not really doing it properly. 
but it's, it's high contact in any environment is where the risks come from. So definitely, um, definitely a um, definitely a sense of you know complacency that could could result in this COVID nineteen being under under managed. I think that would be an, an interesting word. Your concern then for South Africa, you you painted us a bit of a picture. We get a sense of what you were saying, but your concern sure. about South Africa, the World Health Organization is not happy currently. They say in the past seven days, uh, there's been a six percent increase in COVID nineteen cases in South Africa. Correct. I think there's a lot of uncertainty. And see, we, we have a minister that, and that is the way the, the political system has been run. Two dates till two days ago, everybody was happy with the direction we moved. But now suddenly we find ourselves where the minister has essentially relieved his ministerial advisory committee of their duties. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows what he's going to do as a plan B. Will he be replacing the committee? Was he not happy with some people? So that created, because as, as you can understand politically, there were many times the opinions of the advisory committee contradicted the political decisions and what government did as, 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 as movement. That's a complete new talk show for us, Dr. Coleman, I think. Correct. Correct. So, so you know, the worry is, is we're not sure where we are as a country and where we're going. With the WHO raising its concern, it's purely because we've had to make the move as a country to protect the economy, but the question is at what cost? So there are many dynamics and there are many balls to keep in the air at the same time, but you need to see where, the, where we draw the line from a safety perspective. And I think there needs to be more and more education, there needs to be continuous monitoring, because if not, we run the risk of, of, a, of a severe second wave. There are factors, for example, I'll, I'll, that, that in the medical and scientific world, People are considering the larger volumes of HIV patients having some level of immunity due to medication. Uh, our vaccine schedules different from other countries that are that's creating some benefit. But I, those, I think, are small wins. The biggest win we need to, to focus on is what are we doing to protect ourselves, our immediate families, and the people in our community? And, and, and being generally well aware that we know we're out of the danger. The fact that we've down to level one at this point does not mean the risk profile has changed in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Doctor, uh, Professor, I want to bring it to the... I want to play devil's advocate here and bring in some sort of psyche and rationale of, 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 the, of the people we're talking about, right? So when you hinge the impact and the burden of COVID-19, it's often hinged on the economic impact that it has had on the, on the country and the livelihoods of the citizens. And then it's also then hinged on um, the health implications and the health burden it's placed on the country's healthcare system. But the point that many people make is the impact it has had on social well-being, on mental health, on the uh, release of basic endorphins by hugging somebody. So this is the point that many South Africans are putting forward. I wish I really want to just sit and have a drink with my best friend at a local restaurant. You know, I want to go and visit my mom and cook something with her. So these are the kinds of issues that people have been going, going through. Where do you hinge that when trying to warn and, and safeguard against a second wave? I think there is no ideal answer to it, and that's the reality of where we are with this pandemic. Is if you're dealing with non-communicable diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and others, or HIV, you know, communicable diseases and other things, we know how to deal with it at least from a treatment perspective. But from a COVID perspective, there's so many unknowns, which is where the uncertainty lies. I appreciate it, and I personally have the same frustrations that you can't meet extended family, you cannot have as much dialogue contact as you want, but you need to understand at some point we need to look at our own safety and those that we care about. Because even though younger patients and people that are fit and take care of their health may have a stronger chance of surviving, the elders and the family that you want to spend time with, you could be putting them at risk. So we're not saying don't make that contact. We're saying minimize it. And if you need to do it and it's necessary for your psychological and physical well-being, then do it in a responsible manner. Make sure you still have your masks on, you sanitize regularly. You try and minimize any transmission risks whatsoever. So, yes, Rachel just advising me on the messages that we got on our WhatsApp line. We'll go to some of them, Professor Komal, and you can talk, tell yeah, me sure. your thoughts on them as well. Let's go to... Um, yeah, Bully Mudley in Queensborough. I fear uh, the f- 
sorry, with the fear of a second wave of COVID-19, um, this is not the time to fight the virus. We must continue to adhere to the rules and take the precautions. One thing we must be conscious about is what this virus uses as transportation. We are the carriers, so the only thing we have to ensure is that we do not get infected and that we do not give it to anyone else. Sunita in Johannesburg, um, you all at the media keep on reminding that this vi- what this virus can do, but people don't fear what this virus can do. Little children are using a mask. Why can't why can't others follow? The virus is here to stay. No respect for people's lives. So those are the messages that are coming through there. So yes, Professor Koman, I think we will end off the program just now when we talk a little bit more about you know those uh, the, the ways to safeguard and continue. But I want to talk to you about that science now. Two things that I found particularly interesting. Um, the one was herd immunity and the other was the fact that a lot of people have an antibody resistance already to COVID-19. So some contracted but are completely asymptomatic and don't even know they have it because the body has you know, a sort of a mechanism to fight the, the virus without you even being aware that it's happening. Uh, let's start Correct. with herd immunity. You know, th- that particular concept was a big one when we first started talking about um, COVID-19 about you know resistance and about um, you know fighting the disease as a collective. Remind us Correct. again when we talk about herd immunity, what are we referring to? Sure. My understanding of this theory is, is, is essentially what you do is you expose, you allow people to be exposed freely to the virus, so much so that your body starts to build an immunity to it. Very much like how we we would we take flu vaccines, but in this case you allow your body to build a resistance, respond to it, build the antibodies, and you make sure that. Those who survive, survive, and those who don't, don't. But the risk of that is the, the high risk of attrition of the amount of people that potentially could die in that process. So there, there are too many unknowns. We're a very strange society in which we have some of the highest numbers of HIV, TB, uh, uh, non-communicable and communicable diseases, malaria. So we have many more dynamics than, than some of the countries, for example, in Europe that have, have been using the herd immunity approach. So our patients have compromised immune systems far more than most countries do. And that's statistically, if we talk about HIV, TB, malaria, and some of the big, big issues. So our patients have risks of, of immune systems already burdened. Now you find yourself in a situation where you want to say, let the body build its own resistance. There are so many unknowns in that circumstance that herd immunity may actually cause high risks to patients who are already on, for example, immunosuppressive therapies, other treatments, advanced age, and complications due to diabetes, hypertension, and various other medical conditions. So my, the, I think there is some, the science makes sense academically, but the practical implementation in our circumstance is worrying, to say the least. And, you know, I think scientists were never really fully able to agree on this particular point then. Can a person be reinfected? That's obviously a very contentious topic, but in my mind at this point with information I have at hand, the reinfection speaks of are you able to get a second strain like we talk of HIV? Is there a different mutation that we're going to get? But because it's so early stage, is it possible? Theoretically, it's very possible. Then you also look at could you have a reactivation or a re-exposure to the infection so your body both antibodies? But if you're a patient that has various medical conditions, including diabetes, hypertension, uh, HIV, and other related issues, in which you already have a sensitized or compromised immune system, a second infection, a second exposure could very well create a circumstance in which a second strain or the virus could affect you again. That is what we, we were talking. We were talking about in March and April, where in China, in Wuhan, you had cases where people had, were, were detected positive with the virus again. And in some cases, it was found that it was purely an overburdened immune system that could not cope with a second exposure to the virus. So it is possible. But the worry is, in the COVID circumstance, it's not just the virus that's the concern. It's the active and overactive immune system that actually causes a large number of the complications in the body. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. We're not saying we need to get rid of a virus. We need to get rid of a virus and our immune response, which to a large extent becomes toxic in the COVID cases and related cases. And when you start to do that, for example, some of the treatments say treat the virus, suppress the immune response so the patient can recover well, 
That means in a healthcare environment, you're then exposed to fungal infection and other infections, which could be terminal to you. I know firsthand, my father was unwell with a condition, went to a hospital with a viral infection, and died of something else. So these are real risks. I can tell you from personal experience, not COVID though, the principle remains the same. You could have many more complications that are not just from COVID, but as a result of COVID and or an immune system that becomes your worst enemy. And and that is such a, you know, that that puts COVID-19 into a whole new dimension because it, it, it really, you know, opens a kind of worms, dare I say, of things that you could die from because it's Correct. so, so intertwined. Um, Indeed. And... I mean, you made that great point and I lost my train of thought, Professor. So uh, let's go to this yeah, message yeah. and then see if it comes back. Um, in life, one must always do the right thing, taking into consideration yourself and others. Help the economy survive by following the rules set out for the pandemic. Uh, we just need to get this virus under control. Uh, remembered, yes, Professor. So I think um, the, the, the next thing, I mean, we, we're heading into October now. Um, and around this time is when, you know, travel starts and borders are relatively opened. A lot of people yeah. are wanting to travel. Um, you know, you're, you're concerned about that. And, and I know you're not a travel agent, obviously, you're a scientist, but, you know, what's the nature of travel going to be now and be like um, to ensure that, you know, infection control across borders is controlled? Yeah. I think a lot of countries have put measures in place there. So, for example, I, you know, I travel regularly with Emirates and, and, and related Middle East airlines in which they've compelled that you bring in a negative test, valid 72 hours before you board a flight, make sure you give a fixed address. If they need to isolate you, they can. But there's always a risk of you could be bringing a different strain. But I also understand the circumstance, and I personally need to travel extensively in the next couple of months. It needs to be a calculated decision. So if you do need to travel... You need to be strict about your self-isolation and monitoring subsequent to your travel and during your travel periods to try and minimize your exposure. Because people, let's be honest, they will let things out. You get into a plane, depending on how you travel, you have a drink or two, you fall asleep, the mask comes off, you're touching things in various places in, in a plane or an airport, and there are material risks to such exposures. Just for this weekend, I typically will never drive to Durban. And because I had my kids with me, I, it was safer to drive than to, than to risk having them in a plane or an airport. So personally, I know where these risks are. And I think everyone out there that's listening needs to be acutely aware of this. Yeah, most definitely. And I think this is what also then... Um, Professor Salim Abdul Karim talks about, you know, never really going into the new normal. Um, and, and, and while we've been talking about, you know, a lot of the things we've been seeing, Professor Komal, in terms of a lot of people not adhering, I think every single text message we got here reflects that. What about those that are? You know, is it too little? Sorry, I missed that, Suresh. Those that are adhering to COVID-19 um, regulations and, and protocol, is it too little? Because there is a great number of people. I mean, you know, I've had conversations with some of my friends and um, who, who say... I've not left the house since lockdown, and I actually don't intend to. I think it may be a necessary precaution. I, I don't think everyone has the luxury of being able to do that, especially in the economic times and the economy we find ourselves. But within reason, take as much or maximum precaution that you can within practical reason, being aware that any decision that you take away from the best practice puts you, your family, and community at risk. And when I say community, the broader community of our country. So be aware that every decision you make may or may not affect people that are, are innocent bystanders to your decision. And that is the, the, the reality of the decisions we need to make in a COVID world and beyond. Professor, as we wrap up our conversation now, let's just you know talk about it. What is your advice to South Africans who are currently under alert level one of lockdown? Um, the virus is a bit more controlled now than it was about two months ago. Still, there's a great concern about the rapid increase in the number of cases, 6% over the past seven days. What is your advice to South Africans on how to mitigate and reduce the possibility of a second wave of COVID-19 in South Africa? Without evangelizing, Teresh, I think government has put out an amazing uh, education program on, on the basic practices, and I think everybody's almost a quasi-expert on making sure you wear your mask, sanitize as often as you can, minimize contact with anything 
that you don't need to and, and minimize your travel outside. We understand that, you know, it's a long weekend. People want to spend time with friends and families. But you need to be conscientious of the decisions that you make because it's not just the decisions that, that you make for yourself but for family. And to, give, to drive, you know, a, a case in point and an example, we, I, I have a distant relative in which the son in his early 20s went out for a, for a party with friends, clearly didn't follow the protocols, came home, infected his father, infected his mother, his younger brother, mother, and father passed on, and he survived. The cold reality is he will have to live with a conscience knowing fully well that he was a direct contributor to that in a family now that does not exist and only constitutes him. This is the reality, and this is a case in Durban in the, on the North Coast. There are many cases of this. It's just that there's not enough contact tracing or people being able to ascertain where it came from. But I think we need to worry less about where it comes from as opposed to what we can consciously do for ourselves, our, our families and communities. But there's that level of temptation now because everybody has been letting their guard down. Uh, how do you encourage then South Africans to not give in to that temptation? I mean, that story that you gave us was quite harrowing and it, I think it definitely um, provides that sort of understanding into how one should not let their guard down. But ultimately, you know, how, I mean, what do you advise your patients when you consult with them on how best to adhere to protocols, as challenging as it may be? I think travel as little as you, as you need to. Go out as little as you need to. If there needs to be a social gathering, let it be in a safe home environment, proper good social distancing, minimize your contact. And as I speak, I'm at a mall out here in Durban, and I'm looking at, an, at a gentleman that's in the mall behind the security guard who's supposed to be enforcing it. He has a mask, but it's warming his chin. His mouth's exposed. His nose is exposed. So, you know, it doesn't achieve anything if people are ticking a box to say, I wear a mask because I have to, as opposed to I wear a mask because it's the right thing to do for myself and everyone else. The reality is the virus is being transmitted as an airborne virus in, 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 in a fair amount of environments. There's enough data to support that, including from the WHO. So it's not that you're wearing a mask to minimize what you transmit, but also minimize what you take in from the air in the environments that you are sharing with other individuals. Wonderful. I think a final, a final one, just a very quick one. So, I mean, we know you've got the likes of the Northern Hemisphere declaring it a second wave. Um, what must South Africans be observing and being and be mindful of now on what unfolds in that northern hemisphere, so that they can, you know, try themselves to do what the northern hemisphere didn't? I think in the northern hemisphere, you know, some countries it became politics because they have massive disparities between major political parties. The benefit we have in this country is, despite different political views, we have a consistent view of let's work as one country to protect each other maintain good social distancing, good healthcare practices, and do the best that we can. So besides the, the, the good advice that government has put out that we're all aware of in, in good practices, do what you can to supplement your immune system. So, so for example, large volumes of antioxidants, vitamin C, and the various dietary protocols that are recommended, they can make a significant difference to at least reduce your inflammation and boost your opportunities for maintaining a healthy immune system. Professor Terence Gormal, thank you so much. He's the CEO of the Medical Expert Consulting. Uh, appreciate your time and we look forward uh, to talking to you safe, uh, to talking to you soon. Please stay safe. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Stay well, Terence. So there you go, our discussion on the second wave and all you need to know about that to safeguard against that, to realize that it is you know, possible, highly possible, and it's something that uh, the world is seeing right now in the Northern Hemisphere. So Play, pay close tabs to that and we'll try and keep each other healthy as the COVID-19 continues its trajectory across the globe. Well, this broadcast came your way courtesy of the team, executive producer Salma Patel and Rachel Vadi. We'll talk again tomorrow between 12 and 1 o'clock from Itarish. Hey, have an awesome day. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.